Hi, Discord and Rhyme fans. We are taking a little break after our gigantic Genesis episode. So to tide you over in the meantime, we thought we would release one of our Patreon episodes for you. Over there, about once a month or so, we throw up a little extra episode for our Patreon subscribers, and sometimes we cover an album, and other times we choose a category and pick songs that fit into that category. For the one we're sharing today, we had decided to talk about covers of Beatles songs, some that we love, some that we hate, and some that we think are just really strange. So we hope you enjoy what you hear, and if you like that and want more where that came from, you can check out patreon.com slash discordpod. Thanks so much, everybody. all you patreon subscribers welcome back to another super special secret bonus episode uh these are the ones where we get to have a little fun and do stuff we wouldn't ordinarily do uh as you probably guessed i'm amanda rogers and who's here with me mike defabio and john mcferrin and for this one i have found another excuse to talk about the beatles and Mm. i'm really excited (laughs) and now we're for this one we're going to talk about beatles covers by which i mean Covers that other people did of Beatles songs, not songs the Beatles covered. So we're not going to be talking about Kansas City, Hey, 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 Hey tonight. Aw. Unfortunately, because I like that one. So those 30 minutes I spent cramming on Mr. Moonlight were all wasted? That is never a waste. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> so we've each got uh, several songs picked out for you. We're just going to take turns talking about the these Beatles covers. Some are good, some are bad, and some are just really weird. Some of them we agree on, and some of them we don't. <laughs> well, this is called Discord and Rhyme, after yep. all. Yep. Yep. So, all right. Uh, Mike, why don't you go first? What do you want to talk about? All right. I'm going to start off. Well, let me explain. I, I the, the way I was able to narrow this down is I, I picked the, the, the theme I decided to go with was Covers that take a Beatles song and sort of transmogrify it into some completely different genre. So mm-hmm. I'm going to start off with uh, Sparks' version of I Want to Hold Your Hand. And they turn it into... This cover. I- I'll just... I'll let you listen. <laughs> This is, it sounds like something Miss Piggy would sing on The Muppet Show. <laughs> this, this is a widely reviled cover, even among Sparks fans. 
Is it really? Yeah, I found that out recently. A lot of people really do not like this cover. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and it's got a, an odd story behind it. It was it was recorded during the, the sessions for the Sparks album Big Beat, which is completely the opposite of this cover. It's it's their really kind of stripped down rock album. But it was it, it, the, the uh, orchestral arrangement was done by Rupert Holmes of, if you like, Pina Colada's fame. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And uh, it wasn't originally intended to be a, a Sparks song per se. It was originally meant to be sung by Marianne Faithful. <laughs> really? How did that happen? Yeah, and, and she she bailed at the last minute, so Russell Mayle stepped in and, and sang it himself. And I think that's really what makes it it keeps it from being a a horrible mistake and and turns it into something kind of brilliant because Russell Mayle, I mean, I love the guy, but he is not a crooner in any conventional sense. And Sparks, you know, they're, if they're known for anything, it's their sense of humor. You know, they're very self-aware. They've got this very keen sense of irony. So just that voice on top of that arrangement it's it becomes incredibly funny. Uh, my favorite part is is one I I wasn't able to include in the clip, but it's during the bridge when he sings and when I touch you, and then the the backing singers go touch me. It's <laughs> <laughs> so good. What's great about it is I'm not sure how much of it is a joke, like how much how much of the humor was intended and how much uh, it just ended up being that way, and that's what that's what keeps me coming back to it. That's what like makes a, it a spark song. That's what makes it a spark <laughs> song. Exactly. Is you don't know where the joke ends and the the regular song begins. So had the backing track already all been done when Marianne Faithful bailed and then they just dro- dropped Russell Mail in? I'm not sure at what point Marianne Faithful bailed. Um, but I think it was pretty late in the game. Like they'd already they already wow. had the studio time and everything. So Wow. They just went ahead and did it. Okay. I I know very little about Sparks. I I think I have a copy of Cremona my house sitting around somewhere, but that's it. And I I had absolutely zero idea of any of the context for this song, but I loved it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny, and I'm really glad that that's deliberate because it sounds deliberate. I mean, it's so over the top '70s. It almost sounds like Barry Manilow or somebody. Yeah. <laughs> but in a way that makes it clear that they're in on it. Right. If that makes sense. Like if Mar- if Marianne Faithful had sung this, she would have been very sincere about it and it would have been the worst. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been more upon music of the 70s. Exactly. But this there's something about that vocal. It just sounds like a really deliberate attempt to take that this little bubblegum pop song and make it sound completely ridiculous. Yeah. And it works really really well. I think this is really great. Uh, I'm I'm glad we agree on that. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I like it too. I I was actually glad for you to tell the story of, of how it ended up here, because I've always been very confused as to how uh, this ended up as, as being related to Big Beat. Like, I yeah. could almost like I, like I could almost understand it uh, historically if maybe if it had come out of the indiscreet sessions. But I yeah. had never been able to make the connection between uh, this and Big Beat. The, the thing is, though, so if this is a bonus track for a Big Beat, this will come immediately after White Women and I Like Girls. 
and it may, it helps make it clear that you know something's amiss with this right. immediately. I don't mean that in a bad way. <laughs> but yeah, like context like, does a lot. Context does an awful lot for for this song. So yeah, I I like it a lot. Um, I mean, I totally get why a lot of Sparks fans uh, don't like it, but. At, but again, it's it's one of those things where I, I I sense that it's it's not like unanimously hitting it. I got the sense it's like twenty five seventy five of twenty five yeah. liking it, and then the rest saying what's wrong with you. Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty polarizing. It's it's a it pol- sounds nothing yeah. like anything else. Like it right. all, like the it it I could almost like imagine a uh, a universe where there was a more normal version of this, and then they did this version for the plagiarism album where they <laughs> remade a bunch of things. But for this to be an ori- uh, to like be a, a first generation cover is is kind of mind boggling. Yeah, that's interesting to hear because it, this it, it doesn't sound like anything yeah. to me. <laughs> but listening to it, I thought, well, maybe this is normal for Sparks. No. I don't really know anything about Sparks, so I, I love that it just doesn't sound like anything. Period. Doesn't sound like anything. Period is is actually a good description for a lot of Sparks discography. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, like I said, I've heard "Come On in My House" a couple of times, and I like it, but I'm not 100 mm-hmm. sure I understand it. Yeah. All right. Well, well, that was a really fun start <laughs> to this episode. So I'll go next. Um, I think we are gonna start out. Uh, at least for me, with uh, Richie Haven's cover of Here Comes the Sun. Little darling, it's been a long, long, lonely winter. Little darling, it seems like years since it's been here. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's alright Little darling The smiles are returning to the faces Little darling It seems like years since they've been there Here comes the sun Here comes the sun And I say I also really enjoy covers in general, but especially Beatles covers that take the original song and turn it into something totally new. And this is a case where that attempt was extremely successful. Uh, the, The original Here Comes the Sun is my favorite Beatles song, and this is one of my favorite Beatles covers. I first heard it on a cassette that I found in a bargain bin sometime in like 2001. It was like at the very end of when you could even get cassettes. And so they were like 50 cents in giant cardboard boxes everywhere. And this one was a collection of Beatles covers. And it had this one as well as like Stevie Wonder's We Can Work It Out and Elton John's Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds and a bunch of other really good ones. And this was immediately my favorite on the whole tape. It sounds totally different from the original, but it keeps the same heart. And just the sound of it is wonderful. I love a real dominant acoustic guitar. And this is a just a terrific example of that. And his gravelly but sweet voice is just perfect for these lyrics. And he kept in the parts where the time signature goes a little weird, but he did it in a totally new way. Yeah. Which I love. And it's just like the intro. I had to cut the intro short because it goes on for almost a minute and a half. And 
it's just that strummed acoustic guitar with other sounds happening in the background, seemingly at random. And then at some point he just starts singing. <laughs> There's not really any indication that the vocal is going to start until it, until it does. Uh, there's just little bits of per percussion back there. It seems like they're almost at random, but it just keeps the whole thing really interesting and charming. Uh, this came out in 1971, got into the top 20, rightfully so, because it is excellent. And actually, I just found out the other day, Nina Simone covered this around that same time too, and her version is also wonderful. And again, totally different to this, let alone to the original. There's just people do good things with Here Comes the Sun, it turns out. Yeah, this is, this is a winner for sure. I'm of the opinion that... Uh... If you're going to cover Here Comes the Sun, it should be with the utmost exuberance. And mm -hmm. I'm also of the opinion that if you're going to strum an acoustic guitar, you should do so as hard as possible. And, <laughs> and Richie Havens is doing both of those things in this cover. And uh, yeah, I, I agree with you that it's it it does something totally different with Here Comes the Sun, but it's it's it, it maintains the, the same spirit of the song. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, major, major yeah. thumbs up for this one. And actually, and he leaves out the sun, 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 here it comes part altogether. Yeah. But that's fine. You don't miss it because there's a lot of other interesting things happening. He's he's doing new, different things with it. Yeah. Right. I really need to hear more Richie Havens. Um, I've I've heard him uh, in a, a few places, but never actually in his own material. Um, hmm. He like I've heard him make hmm. guest vocal appearances. He makes a... a a really good guest vocal appearance on a Steve Hackett solo album. And he huh. made a, a, a really great uh, vocal appearance on Peter Gabriel's Ovo album. Oh, that's right. Um, it's on Time of the Turning, which is amazing, where he duets with uh, Kate Fraser of Cocteau Twins fame. Elizabeth Fraser? Elizabeth Fraser, yes, that's the one. Yes, sorry. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I really like him him performing this. Uh, he's He's got a good way around the song. All right, John, it's your turn. What, what are you going to do to us? Uh, I'm going to go with uh, a different version of I Want to Hold Your Hand. It might be the exact polar opposite of the Sparks version, but also good. <laughs> uh, so the, the version I'm going to be doing is uh, a cover by the jazz guitarist Grant Green and his group. This is producer Mike music right here. Yes. Ooh, you need to use it for that. <laughs> first introduced to Grant Green uh, through this album. My, my brother gave it to me as a uh, Christmas present uh, in the first couple of years after I'd started getting into jazz. And something that, that I, I find really interesting about it is that, so this was released in 1966, and I find it interesting how quickly um, I Want to Hold Your Hand, like, entered the canon of pop tunes that were okay for major jazz musicians to cover. Um, cause you know, there, cause, cause jazz musicians will, all, will, will often, uh, use, uh, 
pop tunes of, of, of various sorts as the basis uh, for, por- for for performances. But the theory is that you know that there's a there's somewhat of a a reasonably tight quality control of what standards are going to pick because they want to have a good theme in place uh, to serve as a good foundation. And and I and I think it's interesting that that people who who did this sort of thing for a living like immediately knew that like yes this this and other Beatles songs uh, were going to be uh, every bit as good of a a starting point for for covers as you know say uh, my favorite things was a few years earlier uh, from John Coltrane just as an example. Um, say this is it's really tasteful i i really like the uh, the use of the organ uh in the background um don't really have a lot other deep things to say about i mean it's a really really top-notch jazz cover uh from from a jazz musician that i generally like that's about it yeah this is really swanky yeah if i if i uh, if i had a, a swinging bachelor pad and I had people mm-hmm. over for cocktails. I would totally put this on. It's like it's jazz and it's smooth and it's the furthest thing away from smooth jazz. Yes, which 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 I love. Mm. I I haven't heard a lot of Grant Green. Um, I meant to to listen to more of him. I've been listening to. There's a Spotify playlist of the entire Blue Note Records discography, mm-hmm. and I've been I've been just listening to that on shuffle and seeing what comes up that I haven't heard before, and. Uh, Grand Green is going to be one of my one of my next investigations for for Blue Note stuff. Uh, but yeah, I think it's really cool. If you look at the track list for this album, it's mostly it's it's standards. It's it's mm-hmm. typical jazz album stuff. And there's I want to hold your hand just immediately into into the it's song. It's the title book. track. It's the first one. And it's like oh, this is awesome. Yeah, I love it because it's it's so it's it's super laid back. But because it's like these are like killer jazz guys. It's everybody's everything. Everybody. D- is doing is interesting and, you know elvin jones is back there on drums he's from the john coltrane quartet and uh i think it's just a trio right it's no hank mobley is on saxophone later but the bulk yeah, of it right. is just the bulk of it is just a an organ trio it's very very nice well i'm glad you guys like it Aww. interesting <laughs> uh, <laughs> i i i just don't really get along with jazz in general. And this is not for lack of trying. I actually have a pretty decent formal education in jazz. And there are some earlier artists like Duke Ellington and Benny Goodman that I enjoy, but it's just not really my thing. And I find this very well done. I think tasteful is the perfect word for it. And it would probably be my favorite song at the dentist's office. Oh, how like, dare you? <laughs> it's really well done, but I I find it kind of boring. Ah, I, it's understandable. But I'll take this over Ornette Coleman any day of the week. <laughs> <gasps> <laughs> All eight days of the week, in fact. How dare you? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's just the beginning. Yeah. What, you don't love free jazz, Amanda? I detest free jazz. So what have, what have you got up next, Mike? I've got a cover of I Want You, She's So Heavy by the Swiss technical thrash metal band Coroner. All right.
my reasons for liking this are, are pretty simple. They took I Want You, She's So Heavy, and they made it metal. Yeah. And, and that's... Yeah. <laughs> and it was already one of the... On the heavier side of Beatles songs, especially if you've if you've heard the the new remixed version of Abbey Road. It's, oh, yeah. It's, it gets Sabbathy at the end there. Mm-hmm. This is on uh, Coroner's 1991 album, Mental Vortex. And it's it's the it's the last song on the album. It's a great album title. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's the last song on the album, and I really like on old metal albums when when they end with a, a cover. Because it, metal can be kind of it can be kind of stone faced. It can be kind of serious. And I like at the end of the album where they do something a little lighthearted. Uh like I'm thinking of uh Voivod have this uh very ambitious concept album, very sci-fi called Dimension Hatros. And the the last song, if if you have the CD, is a it's a cover of the Batman theme. <laughs> cool. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I I like when metal bands show you that they they don't take themselves super seriously. They on one of their earlier albums, uh, the last track is a cover of Purple Haze, and that I don't think that works mm. quite as well because they're they're a little rigid for for Jimi Hendrix. But I I enjoy this one a lot. This one is ridiculous. I'm not entirely sure if it's good, and I enjoy the hell out of it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's like you said, the, like it's it, I, I feel like I want you so she's so heavy in terms of like the universe of of possible arrangements that could have it could have morphed into what it actually ended up uh, uh, settling on was like on the like the one percent lowest end of how heavy it possibly could have been hmm. like it, it and so so there's there's just so much uh there's so much ground there of it, it, in terms of if you want to to expand it out and make it heavier and make it more kick ass and they just move right in and they just occupy them they do it great yeah i again i don't know how often i will seek this one out but i i very much enjoyed this one in prepping for this i love this <laughs> i will revisit it often <laughs> I think this is fantastic. And the original, like Mike said, it was kind of proto-metal to begin with, so it's obvious that an actual metal band would want to take a crack at it. And I think this is really successful. It, it's mean and scratchy and totally got rid of that slightly soulful feel in the original. And there's that little bit where mm. it like has a vaguely Latin feel to it. Not here. Yeah. <laughs> nope. And then you get those kind of thrashy drums under the guitar solo. It's just the perfect finishing touch. Yeah. I think this is so good. Yay. Yeah. I never even heard of Coroner before, but I love this cover. <laughs> yeah. I, I know them because they're, they have a bunch of, uh, on Rate Your Music, they have a bunch of the, the top uh, technical thrash metal albums. Yes, I browse the technical thrash metal genre on Rate Your Music. <laughs> technical <laughs> thrash expect? metal. That sounds like something I would like. That's You might like Mental Vortex. I could see you maybe being into it. I, You know what? I'm going to give it a try. All right. All right. Well, on that note, um, I think it's time to go to the absolute furthest point on the musical spectrum <laughs> from 
corner. Oh, no. Um, I, I stretched the definition of Beatles covers just a smidge because the world needs to know that there is a cover of John Lennon's song Mother by Barbara Streisand. Do they? They do. Please go. What the hell was that? Yeah, that happened. So I want I want you all to think about what you just heard. And now, <laughs> now think about the Plastic Ono Band and mm. John Lennon's agonized, heart-shredding vocal performance. And then think again about what you just heard. <laughs> Do, it doesn't really work. Now, I, I don't know Barbara Streisand's life. Maybe she was really feeling this, but I feel like someone ought to have taken this bullet and not allowed it out into the public. (laughs) It is just wrong in every way, even though she's trying so hard to make it work. She's, She's trying to sing rock and roll, but her cabaret and Broadway experience and training is just not allowing that, and the combination is bad. And you may have noticed there are some Billy Preston-style organ lines in there, even. And I looked that up just yesterday and discovered that is actually Billy Preston. Whoa. So, yeah, there's like a little smidgen of authenticity here, but the whole thing just sounds so fake. Oh, it is awful. Yeah. However, that being said... It was years ago, I just heard like a passing mention somewhere that Barbara Streisand had covered Mother, and I said, she did what? And hunted it down, (laughs) and I have hate-listened to this so many times now that I've (laughs) almost come around on it. (laughs) Because if you start start thinking of it as camp, then it almost works. Mm. But it's... Oh, man, you guys, this is bad. <laughs> Oof. I don't think Barbara Streisand has a primal scream in her. I, I, no. I don't think she has the capability for it. It's, this is like, this doesn't just have, this doesn't just lack everything that made the original version effective. It takes that and and turns it completely upside down. It's the it's completely the opposite of White Mother is a mm. good song. Yeah. Uh, the, let's take yeah, the the raw pain and agony and you know all the, all the all the things people like about Plastic Ono Band and let's make it a show tune. 
I am boggled by this. I I, yeah. I don't know why this exists. I don't know why I was just listening to it. I have a theory yeah. of of why this happened. Um, I'm actually kind of serious about this. My guess is that Barbara and or her handlers who decided to do this were only aware of the single version. Because there is a single version that's like a minute and a half shorter. Oh. That gets rid of the 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 the, mourn, the mournful bells at the beginning and it gets rid of a oh. and like it fades out a lot sooner. Oh, I knew I knew it was a single but I didn't know there was a different edit. It's it's a lot shorter. So hmm. and and it's also and then related to that, you know, they never listened to the album. They just mm. they, they just knew this shortened single. So mm. if you just start with the the core part of it, it's like, oh, it's it's a lawning, sad song, bittersweet about uh, remembering your mother. And if you're just like casually hearing it, you could do that if you didn't do any homework. Mm-hmm. And my guess is that nobody did their homework because, yeah, this like this is supposed to be a song. It, it, it's supposed to be like the representation of like someone's inner child, like curled up in the fetal position and just screaming into the void. Mm-hmm. And this is this is the opposite of that. But again, like there's a cleaned up version that's, you know, that in theory has the it most technically has the core of it, but it loses the essence of the song. And I feel like she's covering that neutered version of it. Mm. That's- so I barely feel like it's even related to the original um, only in the most tenuous ways. That makes that a makes lot sense. of sense. Yeah, I mean, a- apart from you know the the scream fest at the end, but what what uh, always uh, hit me hardest in that song is you know when when John hits those high notes and he just he, he just obliterates them. It's just easy. He's, he's yeah. just mm-hmm. a broken man, and mm-hmm. Barbara Streisand replaces that with just a display of impeccable technique. Which she's incapable of doing anything else, but right. uh, this this was a, this was a mistake. See, see, that's the thing; she's too well trained. She can't just let herself go. Yeah, mm-hmm. the way this song requires. And you know, primal scream therapy might be a load of crap, but without it, we would not have John Lennon's mother. And I don't know about you guys, but I wouldn't want to live in that world. We wouldn't have so, songs from the big chair either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um so yeah that 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 happened barbara streisand did that um john do you have anything better uh, it's 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 better it's, good. <laughs> it's better uh i have a cover of eight days a week by Prokel harem Best way I would describe this is it is a replacement level Beatles cover. It is not excessively bad. It's not good. It just kind of exists. Um, and there's actually a surprising amount of story associated with this. It's not that interesting, but I'll give it here anyway. Um, 
so a while ago I covered uh, the album uh, Exotic, Exotic Birds and Fruit by Procol Harum. Well, this is from the album that came after uh, called Procol's Ninth. And uh, in that episode, I mentioned that it's not really worth hunting this down, even though it's done with the same lineup. Uh, there's So there's a few things about it. One is that the uh, the producers for this album are Lieber and Stoller, huh. uh, who had not really? been the producers for Procol Harum. Yes, they had not been the producers for Procol Harum in, in the past. And uh, it, it's, a, it's a mix that did not, it, it's, a, it's a, a mixture of band and producer that, didn't really go that well. It seems like a bad match. The band did not want to do this. Like they decided that they were, they were told just, just do a cover of it and just, just so we could have it around. And, uh, Lieber and Stoller, uh, decided to put it on and the band did not want it on. I think it's fine. Uh, which means that relative to Procol Harum fans, I like it a lot because this is uh, consistently named like one of the worst Procol Harum uh, tracks available. And I get it uh, because the, the circumstances that. behind it are not uh, favorable towards it. I think there's a lot of tunes on that album that are significantly less interesting and, and more boring than this. But the thing is, again, this is not interesting. Like uh, Gary Brooker does his best he's not going to be unprofessional and the band members are all good, but there's no spirit. There's no soul to this. It's fine. And then you forget that it ever happened. I think I like it a little bit more than you do. I think it's got a, a certain charm to it. And it, I, it's, it's not that great. Like these guys would be the best wedding band in town. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's about as far as it goes. It's nothing super remarkable, but I do like that it's Procol Harum playing a Beatles song and not trying to force it to be a Procol Harum song, unlike some other mm -hmm. bands I could name. So on that level, mm -hmm. I think it works, but it's not, I mean, it's not the best thing I've ever heard, but I like it fine. I'll probably listen to it again. Yeah, it's not bad, but I was, yeah, I was, I was kind of, uh, disappointingly not blown away by this one. It's the, you can tell kind of from listening to it that they didn't want to do it. Yeah. They, yeah. It, it is not the most excited I've heard Procol Harum. No. Uh, they're, they're <laughs> doing it so they can get it over with. Um, and yeah, they, they play it well enough, but uh, there's no, they're not having fun. So I'm not really having fun. It's much like the Beatles themselves singing. How do you do it? at the very beginning. They didn't want to do that either, but their producer oh, made them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you can tell they didn't want to be doing it. Yeah, I had never heard that version until very recently. That's that's really funny. Oh, really? Yeah. Like that you know that they, you know, you cannot release this. We won't be able to show our faces around Liverpool. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um it's Mike's turn again. What have we what have we got now? Well, because uh Amanda has set the precedent that uh Solo Beatles songs count. Uh, I've got uh, another cover of uh, a Primal Scream era John Lennon track. And it's it's another jazz cover at that. Uh, this is Freddie Hubbard's version of Cold Turkey.
this was recorded during the sessions for Freddie Hubbard's album Red Clay from 1970, and it's a it's a bonus track on the CD. Uh, the the personnel on this track is aside from Freddie uh, aside from Freddie Hubbard on trumpet, you've got Joe Henderson on tenor saxophone, Herbie Hancock on electric piano, Ron Carter on bass, and uh, Lenny White on drums. Uh, so these these are these are top notch jazz guys, and what they did was they they took cold turkey and they made it funky. It's did they? <laughs> I think they did. <laughs> it's sort of uh, sort of the opposite of of what happened with "I Want to Hold Your Hand" because I mean nobody could have heard cold turkey and thought, "Well, that's a killer melody." But uh, jazz guys they know they know a thing or two about going going cold turkey. Either they have or they know somebody who has. So. Uh, one of them heard this song and thought, yeah, I, I feel that. <laughs> and they put their own spin on it. It's about 10 and a half minutes long, and I like all of it. It's Everybody gets a great solo. Lenny White is one of the, the two drummers on uh, Miles Davis's Bitches Brew. And it's got, it's got that uh, burbling uh, drum groove underneath it. I, I like this a lot. I feel like the horns do a good job of capturing the spirit of the primal screams. Yeah. Oh, that's a good point. They don't try to like make it to to do it as like literally making the instruments yell like with later Coltrane, but but with the the high pitched trill and just rolling around with the sound, like it it, it kind of simulates the ah yeah uh, bits to it. Um, so yeah, I think I think it's an interesting uh, adaptation of of the elements of the original and figure out how to uh, make something musical out of parts that weren't you know, as musical. Um, and again, I, I really like the original a lot. And I, so I was a little nervous going in to see like, how is a jazz uh, version of this going to work? But yeah, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Mm. I, it, it, it's still just my not being a jazz fan is getting in the way. Um, this is just, it's, fair. It's all the, this is almost all that kind of jazz noodling that I just really don't like with the cold turkey chorus occasionally dropped in. Mm. And I'm not that wild about cold turkey to begin with. So this does nothing for me. I feel bad. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> well, I mean, if, if you're, if you're not into jazz, it makes sense. Well, if yeah. you're not into theme appears Solos ensue, theme yeah. appears, solo ensue, jazz may not be for you. <laughs> yeah. No, and I'm not into that, and jazz is not for me. About the farthest I go in that direction is Stan Kenton, and even he he pushes the limits. Yeah, Stan Kenton gets kind of out there. He does. <laughs> I only The only Stan Kenton I know well is Cuban Fire, and I really like that one mm. a lot, but it's every now and again it goes too far. Uh, so let, let's do something that's not jazz. <laughs> and I feel like I I owe you guys something after that Barbara Streisand abomination. So let's go for something really good. And this is Good Morning, Good Morning, covered by Mickey Dolenz. Nothing to do to save his life, called his wife in. Nothing to say, what a day has your boy been Nothing to do, it's up to you 
controlled <laughs> now i do not like good morning good morning if i were to ever really? actually rank beatles songs it would be in my bottom 20 easily possibly bottom 10 it's so annoying uh but i, I don't actually enjoy ranking things so that's not gonna happen then i happened to hear this cover on the beatles channel on sirius xm one day and i was captivated uh this was made in 2012 it's on the same album where mickey dolan's remade his Monkey's song, Randy Scouse Git, that we talked about uh, back on the Monkey's episode. <laughs> and it, it's all a covers album. This is the only good song on it. <laughs> but I think this one is excellent. He cleared off all of the elements that make the original so grating and obnoxious, like all those damn horns. And he emphasized the best parts, which are the lyrics and that very interesting rhythm. Even added like a little bit of a samba feel to it. And plus, he's still a wonderful singer after all this time. I think this is just lovely. This is one of those songs that just grabs a hold of me and I listen to it 25 times in a row. Now, see, Good Morning, Good Morning is one of my very favorites on the whole Sgt. Pepper album. And most <laughs> I think we've of, had this conversation before. <laughs> most of why I love it so much is is for the exact reasons that you hate it. Uh, mm -hmm, I, that makes I, sense. I absolutely <laughs> love how absolutely intentionally grating it is uh it's mm -hmm. it's uh, it sounds sarcastic and mean and neurotic it it ends with a, a series of of animals that can all eat the one that that came before it it's it's just <laughs> john lennon being nasty and this is a, a very interesting reinterpretation of that because uh mm -hmm. mickey dolan's plays it tro totally straight he's he's just having a nice morning and that's yeah. that's that's not <laughs> I I hadn't even considered that you could interpret the song that way because the 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 original is just so shrill and and in your face that it has to be you know it has to mean the exact opposite of what it's saying but yeah you you could do it this way too well and see the thing is with this interpretation I feel like it's still saying uh, like the lyrics and the music are still at odds with each other because the very first line is nothing to do to save his life, call his wife in, hmm. which is a spectacular opening line. I've always thought that. <laughs> but it, it it's just such a calm, cheerful way to say it. Yeah, I like it a lot. I like the original and the, the cover a lot, <laughs> even though they're the exact opposite song. Um, and, and I do think it was it's kind of inspired that he, he saw that this kind of song was possible to extract from the original. Um, I mean, I, you know, for instance, I really like the horns in the original, you know, part of me misses the horns, but I don't miss them here. Um, and I could, and I could name that with a lot of, a lot of things um, in the song. So yeah, it's, it's good. I, I was, I, well, this is one where when I started listening to it, I, it immediately put me in a very good mood for this, for just for this whole project. So yeah, I'm, I, I think it's delightful. Good. I'm really glad you guys like it. 
Yeah, and the, the interesting thing about Good Morning, Good Morning is that uh, the Beatles version was actually used on an episode of The Monkees. I, I, I remember- Oh, was it really? The, yeah, it's the, at the beginning of the episode, it's used as part of this kind of Rube Goldberg alarm clock contraption that ends with the needle being put down on Sgt. Pepper and Good Morning, Good Morning starts playing. That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> it makes for a great alarm clock. Yeah, I would think. I, that'll wake you right up. <laughs> yeah. All right, John, it's your turn. What have you got? All right, let's go from one that's completely delightful to one that is completely and utterly baffling. (laughs) This is Strawberry Fields Forever, as covered by Peter Gabriel. Let me take you down Cause I'm going to Strawberry fields Nothing is real And nothing to get hung about Strawberry fields forever So let me start by saying that I I'm a pretty big solo peter gabriel fan all things considered ever since i i got into genesis i i I, i've been into gabriel and i got into a solo career pretty soon thereafter and you know i at least like every one of his albums and some of them i absolutely adore and i and i know his discography pretty well so it says something then that i had no idea that this existed until about three years ago and I was shocked. I thought initially like someone was playing a joke on me when <laughs> they mentioned that this existed. So there's a, there's a lot to unpack uh, with, with how this happened. So the first thing you have to know is that this is the first thing released by Peter Gabriel as a solo artist after he left Genesis. Now, how did this happen? Well, <laughs> there was a movie in 1976 called All This and World War II. It's a movie that is well-known as one of the biggest bombs of all time, and it is very out of print. This movie uh, is basically uh, newsreel footage uh, from around World War II interspersed with covers of Beatles songs. The makers initially wanted to put original Beatles songs on there, and then they decided that uh, they could make more money if they put out a soundtrack album that contained covers. And the the movie was savaged, and uh, the soundtrack uh, didn't fare much better. So, so one of the many covers on here with the uh, the London Symphony Orchestra is Peter Gabriel uh, doing this this thing. <laughs> this rendition of Strawberry Fields Forever where he sounds like Fozzie Bear. <laughs> and I, I I just don't know what to think about it beyond that. Um, as far as I could tell, Peter Gabriel uh, did not like this. And I, I get that impression from the fact that this it was impossible to find this uh, under his name until just a few years ago. He released a very extensive rarities compilation, digital only, a couple years ago. Um, and I think this was the first official release attached to his name. And before that, you could just find it in scattered YouTube clips and things like that. So yeah, I find this baffling. 
and I had to include it because <laughs> what is this? <laughs> yeah, I, I, I had never heard this before. This this was new to me, so I was surprised to find out that Peter Gabriel began his solo career with a, a low-energy orchestral cover. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> yes. And it's, it's, it's... Conceptual continuity. Yeah. It's it's really odd to me because, I mean, just a, a couple years prior to this, he was coming on stage dressed like a slipper man. Yep. He was... He was mm-hmm. Danced around dressed like a dandelion. Well, he was very tired from doing all that. Apparently. I guess. Yeah, because uh, the whole appeal of Strawberry Fields Forever for me is how weird it is. And he just smoothed all that out. And now it's just kind of a, a song. That Muppet voice he's doing, he dips into that a little bit on his first couple solo albums, but nowhere near to that extent. I, I don't know where that came from or what he was trying to do. When you first hear Peter Gabriel, Strawberry Fields Forever, that's not an insane combination. Mm-hmm. No. That could work. Because, I mean, it, it, Peter Gabriel has seen Mellotrons before, you know, <laughs> this is, th- this makes sense. But what the hell? Like, And Fozzie Bear was the first thing I thought of, too. And honestly, the first couple times I listened to this, I thought there were two singers. <laughs> yeah. And then I realized, no, he kind of fades into the Fozzie Bear voice and then just goes all in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's so weird. And like, maybe he's just trying something. Maybe he's like, because, you know, like Bob Dylan has a few different voices. Maybe yeah. Gabriel thought maybe he could try a different voice and realized it was not successful. And so decided not to go that hard on it anymore. But yeah, I, I don't quite know what to think of this either. It could have worked. Yeah. But it doesn't. And it, John, when you said movie, I thought at first you were going to say this came off of the Sgt. Pepper's movie soundtrack. No. Which is also packed full of mm-hmm. just bonkers Beatles covers, including Steve Martin doing Maxwell's Silver Hammer, which honestly is pretty delightful. <laughs> And it also, that's actually also where Earth, Wind, and Fire's Got to Get You Into My Life came from. Yes. Which would have been worth including on this episode because it's really good. That's a great one, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, this, ooh, okay. The Bee Gees actually have several covers on this on this soundtrack. Really? Oh, really? Yeah, they did. Yeah, and they have a bunch on the Sgt. Pepper's one, too. I don't, know how, I, I don't know if there's any overlap off the top of my head, but they do Golden Slumber slash Carry That Weight. Uh, they do Sun Keen, and they do She Came In Through the Bathroom Window. Ooh. Huh. Yeah, I'm looking at the the Sgt. Pepper soundtrack right now, and it doesn't look like there's any overlap. So there you go. We should we should make an EP playlist of the Lost <laughs> Bee Gees Beatles covers. <laughs> everybody just wanted, everybody just wanted the, the closest band to the Beatles on the, the record store shelf. Yeah. Yeah, comes right after. <laughs> I think this is the final round. So, Mike, it's your turn. What's next? For my final song, I have uh, a chamber orchestra called Alarm Wool Sound. And this is their note-for-note cover of Revolution 9. Yeah, you heard that right. Number 9, 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 number 9. Number nine, number nine, number nine, number nine, 
This comes from Alarmable Sound's uh, 2016 album Modernists, which is mostly a collection of, of 20th century avant-garde classical music by people like Edgar, uh, Edgar Verez. Uh, but it starts off with this arrangement of Revolution 9. And the reason I think it's so cool is that, I mean, not only were they able to successfully perform Revolution 9 entirely acoustically, but by doing so, they prove that it's music. Mm. So and anybody who hears Revolution 9 and says, this isn't music, that, that argument has, has now just definitively been lost. And Alarm Will Sound are a, a really interesting group. They've performed music by everybody from Steve Reich and Georges Ligeti to uh, Aphex Twin and Autecker. So oh. it's, yeah, they, they really run the gamut with their, they have an entire album of just entirely acoustic Aphex Twin covers. That's pretty neat. This, there's a performance of this, of, of them doing Revolution 9 on YouTube, and it's, it's pretty fun to watch how they do it. Yeah, I would think. Yeah. Like during, during like the, the, the sort of mumbled Yoko section at the end, they have somebody come on stage with sort of a megaphone. That's, that's what I decided to close with. All right. Rock and roll. <laughs> I, I mean, major, major respect that somebody not only attempted to cover this, but actually pulled it off. I think it's extremely successful. I am incredibly impressed that it happened, but I still don't want to listen to it any more than I want to listen to the original. <laughs> John, what do you think? I loved it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. I loved it. I've always, I've always liked Revolution 9 um, just because it's, it has a purpose. It's a nightmare. And, yeah. and like they really, yeah. really amplify the nightmare aspects, especially now that you can like more clearly make out the the snippets of conversation, and just like the the the, the nonsensical trailing way that they just kind of blur into each other. Right. And I'll tell you what what listening to uh, this uh, reminded me of in terms of the same uh, feeling of of hair s sticking up on the back of my neck. Um. So in the last I don't know, decade or so, um. Thing that a lot of uh, major orchestras have started doing um, to try and make more money because they have to stay afloat is they will play uh, live soundtracks to, to famous films. So mm -hmm. you have to ask people like, you listen to the Chicago Symphony Orchestra play the soundtrack to Jurassic Park or one of the Harry Potter movies or whatever. Well, back in 2015, um, I got to see the Chicago Symphony Orchestra perform the live soundtrack to 2001 a space odyssey oh just one of the greatest experiences of my life i'm so in jealous particular yeah you should be that sounds very cool and in particular the sounds during the S stargate sequence like the idea that actual human beings are making those sounds yeah it was just one of the things where it's like i don't understand what's happening i don't understand how those sounds are coming from actual people and are actually being produced in the same room as i am and again like even though i'm not literally in the same room as listening to these people i can i almost in, envision like the sweat and the energy that's going into uh make to getting everything just right and yeah oh it's this is so good this just gives me so many good feelings that again partially because it evokes that memory but partially because i think that it stands up really well on its own it's sort of like when i when i finally got to see a couple of years ago I, I i got to see the san francisco symphony uh do stravinsky's rite of spring 
Yeah. Um, and I was, mm. I got the the cheap seats that are basically where the choir sits. If there's mm-hmm. if there's a choir, so it's it's right behind the percussion section, and you could just see how much they were sweating during mm-hmm. the really heavy percussion parts. But did you throw a cat? I did not. <laughs> <laughs> but right after missed opportunity, man. You could have gotten him right in the head. I've I've got a cat that needs throwing too. Oh, next time. I'm I'm kidding, folks. I I don't actually throw cats. But there there was somebody right behind me right after the final crashing chord, huge standing ovation, and I hear this voice behind me just scream, "I'm so satisfied." <laughs> I need a cigarette. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that might be better than cat throwing. <laughs> Just for anybody who doesn't know what the hell we're talking about, this may or may not have happened, but there was a riot at the Rite of Spring premiere. That did happen. Yeah. But reportedly somebody threw a cat. <laughs> yeah. I, d- I just love the idea of this eccentric Frenchman bringing a cat to the ballet. Yeah. It's great. Okay, well, okay, that happened. Um, <laughs> it did. <laughs> and it is, I mean, just to be clear, I do think that's very cool. And I've never said that Revolution 9 isn't music, because of course it is. Yeah. And I think your point that this version proves it was a really good one. Oh, thanks. So I like it for that reason, but I still don't want to listen to it. It's fair. I'll tell you what I do want to listen to hmm. is this cover of Don't Let Me Down by Stereophonics. Don't let me down Don't let me down Don't let me down Don't let me down Nobody I really like it when people take messy Beatles songs and mellow them out. Hmm. Uh, this one comes from the soundtrack to the movie I Am Sam. Speaking of soundtracks that consist entirely of Beatles songs, uh, that movie came out in 2001, and the title character really loves the Beatles. And so the movie, the filmmakers wanted the soundtrack to be all Beatles songs, but it is famously very, very expensive to get the rights to use their actual recordings. So they commissioned a bunch of covers instead. And some of these are very good. Some of them are mediocre, and some of them are Nick Cave singing Let It Be. Oh, Nick Cave, which what happened? It's, oh man, however bad you think that combination is, it's worse. Uh, however, this cover of Don't Let Me Down is one of the very good ones. It, this is another case where I'm actually not that fond of the original. I don't dislike it, but it's never been one of my favorites. It sounds just ragged and unfinished, but not in a way that I think was deliberate, if that makes sense. Um, I very much like how this version version mellows it out and it makes it sound more carefully planned. It, it, and again, it has that the the very emphatic acoustic guitar. 
hmm. that I enjoy quite a lot. Uh, I actually remember that the first time I heard this, I brought home the CD and my mom and I were sitting in the living room listening to it. And we just we both looked up from whatever we were doing and said, wow, <laughs> right after that first line. The whole thing's just it's really pleasant to listen to. I think it's an interesting transformation of the song. And I really love it. Yeah, this is really nice. Um, the 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 handful of songs I've heard from that soundtrack, uh, aside from the the Nick Cave cover, which is just a a, a major lapse in judgment from someone I usually love, um, mm-hmm. most of them strike me as as pleasant but unnecessary. Like I've I've mm-hmm. got the original. You've got to hide your love away right there. I I don't really need to hear Eddie Vedder singing it. Um, right. Same with Sarah McLaughlin and Blackbird. Yeah, it's just not necessary. Hmm. But but this this is really well done. Um, d- don't bring uh, don't let me down. Uh, almost said don't bring me down. This this is not that. <laughs> the original. Uh, don't let me down is is yeah. It's never really been one of my favorites either. It's 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 always sounded kind of like unnecessarily strident. Um, I think hmm. the the naked version smooths that out a lot. I like that yeah, version a lot more. But this is this is really chill, and it's uh, it's I th- I think completely doing away with any percussion at all was a was a nice move. Yeah, yeah, and that that one chord on the guitar is nice and percussive. Yeah, and I think that is sufficient for this arrangement. Yeah, I like it. I like the original more than I think you two do, and it's and mm-hmm. I have a a particular attachment to the original, such that not it's that that it's one of my absolute favorite Beatles songs, but it's one where I have an especially difficult time hearing a cover of it because my absolute favorite part of that song is the bass line. It mm-hmm. has one of my mm-hmm. absolute favorite McCartney bass lines, and That's I a good fixate one. on it. When I listen to it, so hearing a version of it that that doesn't have do 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 yeah do do, do like a, as it does, it's it's distracting to me in its absence. So oh. I have I have a little bit of trouble when I listen to this, um, not trying to fill that in and then feeling a, a pining loss because it's not there, which is not the fault of the song. That's the fault of me. Um, hmm. But that's but that's my reaction when when listening to it. I mean, it's good. I I enjoy it. But I do prefer the original. Yeah, McCartney bass lines are, are things you really notice when they're not there. Yeah, that's true. Especially when they're just really, when, like some every so often he he turns in a really really great one. And, and I get if if that's not enough to vault a song for somebody, but it, just in the case of this one, it, it is enough to vault the the entire song like by itself. So mm-hmm. again, without it, I feel the absence. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, the other song from that soundtrack that I would recommend seeking out is Two of Us, performed by Amy Mann and Michael Penn. It's another one. It's a fairly straight cover, but their voices sound so nice together, and it's it's just really pleasant. I almost picked that one, but went with Don't Let Me Down instead. Yeah, I've, I've heard that one. Uh, Amy Mann sings that one very nicely. She does. And, okay. <laughs> Can't put it off forever, John. <laughs> What's happening now? Oh, what is happening now? We are going to talk about the cover of Every Little Thing from Yes's debut album. We're going to start uh, in the middle of the song. Amanda's hand has just hit her forehead with a great percussive thwack. 
Yep. And my forehead is about to hit my desk with an even greater percussive mm. thwack. Here we go. When I'm walking beside her, people tell me I'm lucky. Yes, I know I'm a lucky guy. I remember the first time I was lonely without her. Can't stop thinking about her now. So the first thing you have to know is that 70s, yes, love to do covers a lot more than people, the people who casually know the band might think they did. In the, in the first few, in the earliest uh, incarnation of the band, one of the earliest things they ever recorded was an amazing cover of uh, Something's Coming from West Side Story. On their debut album, they do a cover of I See You uh, by The Birds. Their second album, they they do a cover of a Richie Haven song and a Stephen Stills song. Later in their career, they would do a uh, a cover of Simon and Garfunkel's America. <laughs> in, <laughs> into the mid-70s, they were, they were uh, closing shows with a cover of The Beatles' I'm Down. And we have this <laughs> now. The thing, other, the other thing to mention about their covers is that they took whatever the song they were doing and they sledgehammered it into their sound. Uh, the original Be Damned. And if you're into that, you will like it. And if you're not, you will not. <laughs> I am into it. Um, I mean, I think that I think it's like I like the way that they I like the way that their vocals blend together. I like the excessive boom, boom, pounding on the, <laughs> the beats with the, with the organ <laughs> underpinning those things. I like that they just go all in in a way that might uh, offend somebody who has an attachment to the original, which again, I can understand having an attachment to the original. But for all that with this song, I somewhat buried the lead yeah, on what really, really makes this song interesting because aside from the main portion, there is a two-minute introduction, which we will not go from the beginning, but we will uh, pick it up from around a note that I marked in our notes as, what the hell was that? <laughs> Sean's air drumming.
Oh, it's so grotesque. <laughs> I was. <laughs> way, way, way back when I made the yes page for my website, I described uh, this introduction as a bloodthirsty prog jazz monster, which I stand by, which I think is great. That's a good description. It's so raw. It's it's it has nothing to do with the original. They quote Day Tripper because why the hell not? But like I like the way that the this you have this group this all these sounds at the beginning and it takes a while for it to coalesce into the groove that it does and when it finally gets it like they're just going all in uh, just uh, on this on this rhythmic and 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 sonic power. So yes, it's it's a cover that should spur a strong reaction in somebody. And if that reaction is negative, so be it. For me, it's overwhelmingly positive. I love <laughs> this cover so much. Mike, where do you stand on this? I like it. Maybe not as much as John, but uh I few I, people do. <laughs> yeah. It's I, I get a kick out of it. I mean, if you're if you want um you know, if you saw every little thing on the track list and were hoping they would do a, a, a nice, pleasant Beatles cover, maybe in the vein of something like Your Move, you're going to be disappointed. But yeah, it's it's excessively ornate and overdone and decadent. But that's that's yes. That's how that is how yes roll. And I well, also I, like on the original album, the, the track that comes immediately after this is Sweetness, which actually like with the arrangement that they do for that, like that actually does come close, like in tone to what you would expect every little thing to be. Hmm. And yet, and instead, every little thing like sounds like a precursor to Heart of the Sunrise or something yeah. like that. <laughs> I, I like this for the same reason that I like their cover of America, which is, you know, not that it's anywhere near an an accurate representation of what that song should sound like but because it's fun to play for people who know the original and watch what happens when they realize what song it is i have a 16 minute live version of it and it rules (laughs) (laughs) i've also heard uh there's a bootleg from like 76 where they they cover i'm down totally straight and i i like that a lot too because it's it's the encore for a show where they had just been playing Gates of Delirium and Ritual, and yep. when you've been doing stuff like that for two hours, you just want to you just want to rock and roll, and they do that really well. And t- just because I I I didn't make it onto the big double Yes episode, which which I'm fine with, but uh, just one of the things I really like about Yes is the combination of they have this big spiky sound that's jutting in all directions at once. That's topped off with John Anderson just sounding like a sweet hippie guy. Yep. And and this song has that. So I, I'm happy. All right, Amanda, bring us home with the Discord. <laughs> 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 this is a nightmarish chimera of a song. And I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. That first clip that you played where it's the actual song, that's that's not the worst thing I've ever heard. There are actually two oh good. elements. Thank you. <laughs> there are actually two elements of the song that I really, really like. And the first is how they fly in that line from Day Tripper. I, I, I think that's really clever. It works well. The second is how they take the melody upward on a couple of lines, like on Can't Stop Thinking About Her Now. It gets like really 
glorious for a second there. Yeah. And then it all goes to hell. And, and now, okay, John, I'm going to use your own words against you. Mm. From Let's back see if on I know our, which one they are. Back on our Moody Bluegrass episode when you were talking about Have You Heard, you cannot divorce the yep. song from the original mood. Taking this superb. Oh, that's that's not what I pop- thought you were going to say. I thought you were saying oh, no. your, your cover artists were so preoccupied with, with whether or not they could that they never stopped oh. thinking they should. <laughs> no, 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 no. Well, that too. But this, the original song, honestly, it is a masterpiece. It's my favorite song on Beatles for Sale, which is an album that I really love. And they took it and they pummeled it until it became a prog epic and it does not work. <laughs> and. I, I hate their cover of America too, for the same reasons. Because, and I think a lot of this is because both of the original songs, "Every Little Thing" and "America," are songs that I adore beyond all reason, and I yeah, don't like right. to hear it's them. The same thing I said with "Don't Let Me." Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I don't like to hear them twisted and manipulated like this into something they were never meant to be. And sometimes, like we've talked about other songs on this very episode, where artists do that and it works really well. But not here. So you're saying that the intro to Every Little Thing shouldn't have a note that belongs in Sound Chaser. (laughs) (laughs) It shouldn't have any of those notes. None of those notes should exist in the world. That is what I'm saying. Well, you could take it up with Peter Banks if he wasn't dead. (laughs) I will dance on his grave to the original Every Little Thing. That's very unkind. Well, there were a lot of songs. On this episode. (laughs) Some of them I'm going to keep around for a long, long time. And some of them I am going to throw in the garbage. And I think you guys probably feel Mm. the same way about different songs. And that is why we have this podcast, because we all have different opinions. And that's what makes it fun. Yep. It's what makes it discord and rhyme. That's right. Discord is the spice of life. That's right. I, I, I think that's that. All right. We're leaving in a really good place. So I'll I'll make you guys a Spotify playlist with all these songs on it, and I'll link it in the show description for you in case you want to listen to them all at once, because you should. There's a lot of really interesting stuff in here. And the cover of Yes. Uh, and the cover of Every Little Thing by Yes. Yes. And the cover of Mother by Barbara Streisand. <laughs> we will be back at some point with another of these bonus episodes. So in the meantime, keep as cool as you can, and we'll see you again soon. Bye. Bye. Yes, rules. <laughs> Sick and tired of hearing things from uptight, short-sighted, narrow-minded hypocrites. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth. Had enough of reading things by neurotic, psychotic, big-headed politicians. All I want is the truth. Just give me some truth. Don't start heading.